You all are invited to Fort Worth, Texas for the Jeep's Leadership Conference, May 8th and 9th. Jeep's Leadership Conference is a two-day deep dive into all things leadership with a bit of fun to round things out. The conference features a robust education focus, social events, and a tabletop trade show, and of course, networking. For more information, visit jeeps.com slash leadership conference. 2022 was tough for the grain industry. Rising energy costs threatened producers and processors alike. Fortunately, there's a way to short-circuit high energy costs. Indiana-based Silential Energy is focused on helping the ag industry control costs with solar energy, battery storage, and microgrids. Equally important, we guide you through financing your project, including state and federal tax credits, such as REAP and the Inflation Reduction Act. Silential Energy powers life and business. Learn more at Silential.com. The adoption of technology has been important to production agriculture for decades. Coming up is a conversation I have with two individuals from a leading agricultural university in the United States. We discuss precision agriculture and its potential payoffs from the producer, value chain, and environmental perspectives. Hey folks, welcome to Whole Grain. My name is Jim Lenz, your host and director of training and education at Jeeps. We're the mission of the Grain Elevator and Processing Society is about people and information and knowledge. And the mission of the industry is about feeding and fueling the world. Thanks for listening today and for joining the network of thousands of other grain handling and processing professionals across the globe taking strategic steps to grow professionally. The Whole Grain Show will give you the competitive advantage to win at work so you can make more of an impact. In today's show, our guests are Michael Boley, Professor Emeritus, and Michael Langenmeyer, a professor. Both are in the Department of Agriculture Economics at Purdue University. You may be wondering what falls under the scope of precision agriculture. What does precision agriculture mean? Our guests define precision agriculture as site-specific crop management attempts to observe, measure, and respond to inter- and intra-field variability. The goal of precision agriculture is to enhance yields, reduce costs, and or mitigate environmental risks. And as you can imagine, the impact of precision agriculture technologies can have an impact on the grain supply chain. What kind of information can be collected? What does adoption of precision agriculture look like? And we'll examine future applications as well. Let's get started. Today, we welcome two professors from the Department of Agricultural and Economics at Purdue University. If you are not aware, Purdue Agriculture is one of the world's leading colleges of agriculture, food, life, and natural resource sciences. So it is so great to welcome Mike Bolge and Dr. Michael Langenmeyer. Welcome and thanks for your participation. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Now, it's great to have such a good representation from the Agriculture Department at the University of Purdue on the show today to allow our listeners to get to know you a bit, though, and add some perspective and positive spirit. Could each of you share with our listeners a mantra or success quote that you live by professionally? I try to live by working very hard and and trying to uh, have an uh, attitude of lifelong learning. And as well as one of the mantras I use when I work with audiences is, uh, is you can't predict the future, but you can position for the alternatives. Thank you for sharing. My mantra is you can always improve efficiency and productivity over time. And and that's why it makes it so important uh, to analyze new technologies and figure out how they fit into our business. 
Great mantras. So today we're going to talk a little bit about precision agriculture. What kind of information is collected and how does it impact decision making? Maybe Dr. Langenmeyer, we'll start with you. Well, there's a lot of different information collected. Certainly one of the pieces that was collected early on was yield data. But in addition to that, we're starting to collect more information on seed on various parts of the field, but also uh, using the variable rate technology, collecting information on fertilizer, uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and lime. Uh, those are some of the main things that we're collecting data on, but also uh, we're collecting some good information on herbicides. Uh, that's where that's where some of this technology is getting to really be exciting uh, in terms of uh, using herbicides so we can target specific weeds uh, and, and we don't have to spray the whole field. And so and so when you look at your inputs on a, on a on a crop budget, it's primarily seed, fertilizer, herbicides and insecticides and fungicides. Anything else you want to add, Mike? Mike has uh, done a pretty good job. I just would add that we really uh, started a lot of the work in precision agriculture and precision farming using uh, geospatial type of information, GPS and that type of thing. Some of the first technology was things like auto steer, so uh, farmers could uh, be more accurate in what they're doing in terms of their fielding activity. And then we, that allowed us to go into yield mapping types of things and find out what parts of the fields were generating higher yields and what parts were generating lower yields, et cetera. Other end of this in terms of machine operations, so telematics, trying to figure out how we're actually, our machines are operating, and then relating that information, particularly in terms of power units, et cetera, back to, uh, say, the manufacturer uh, uh, so that uh, we can actually have fewer breakdowns in our equipment because we do pre better preventive maintenance and that type of thing. We're headed into robots and a lot of that type of stuff, which we'll get a chance to talk about later. So it's a very new way of farming. What types of issues cannot be solved by precision agriculture? Well, I, I think that uh, one of the challenges, uh, probably the biggest challenge from my perspective we have is, is actually twofold. First, the challenges associated with sensing what's going on in the soil itself. So we have a lot of monitoring, measuring technology to tell us what's happening in terms of climate conditions, weather pattern information, all that kind of stuff above the soil. We can actually monitor more carefully now than we ever have been able to plant growth processes. And when we do that, we can then adjust real time through the sensing technology where we might need to have a pest problem, where we might need to put on more fertilizer, et cetera. So we, we're having capacity to do that. What is uh, a really important part of crop production, though, is what happens uh, in the soil itself. And the sensing, monitoring, measuring technology to get that done and to get it done efficiently is, hasn't come along as fast and as quickly as we have in terms of uh, the sensing of what's happening in terms of the plant above the soil. Trying to figure out what's happening to that root system, finding out whether we got uh, the right kind of quote, uh, livestock, as some people talk about it, the inside, you know, the, the, yeah. the end, what's happening underneath the soil in terms of all the, uh, the, the, the things we need to get good uh, crop production in the root system is something we don't quite have a, a good feel for in terms of being able to monitor it real time. Yeah. The other area is, uh, is, is how we can actually maybe do something with respect to the human skills associated with uh, understanding all this. And I'll let Michael talk about that because he's done some work in that area. Yeah, definitely one of the challenges is to make sure we have some managers on the farm that can fully utilize this technology. And so in many cases, 
and there's there's a need for some professional development, making sure our farm has somebody that's taking a look at these new technologies, purchasing the technologies, look like they have a good value proposition, and, and using them effectively. Sometimes in the past, we've we've gotten these technologies on some of our machines and haven't fully utilized them. Uh, and so that's always a challenge, making sure that we understand how to use the technologies and use them effectively so we get the most benefit. Uh, I'm going to step back here a little bit. One of the challenges we have right now with everything related to the Internet is the quality of the Internet in rural areas. We've done a couple surveys as part of the Ag Economy Barometer looking at the Internet connections, and there's about a third of, of rural areas that have either poor or, or very limited Internet connections. And so that's very important that we improve the Internet connections because obviously we're going to need good Internet connections for what we're talking about. Also, I think one of the things that has, hasn't moved as fast, it, it's certainly moving, but it hasn't moved as fast as a lot of us thought it was going to, is autonomous tractors, but also autonomous trucks. And so I, that technology is moving along, uh, but sometimes this technology takes a little longer than we, we thought it was going to. Yeah, that's a good point. And foundationally or fundamentally is uh, Internet access in rural communities. I know that's continuing to develop, but not exactly where we need it. Uh, this kind of brings up the scale and scope of precision agriculture across the world. Can you shed some light on precision agriculture in geographic regions? I could start, Mike. Uh, when you look at uh, precision agriculture, again, we use the ag economy barometer as kind of a, a kind of a base here. We asked a couple questions a, a couple different times in the last year related to use of precision agriculture, and we didn't define it. It was a very broad question, but about two thirds indicated they used some type of precision agriculture, and that may sound low to you. But we have to remember there's a lot of farms out there that have older tractors, older planters older sprayers, and they may not have that technology on their machines. They may not have retrofit their machines to to have some of this technology. And so we always got to keep that in mind. I mean, I mean, obviously, two-thirds is, is pretty high, but it might not be as high as, as some people think. Once you get outside of the U.S., I don't have a good feel for that, other than saying that that I have been in, in South America, and, and uh, uh, I don't know if these technologies are quite as commonly used down there, but they're commonly used. Uh, and, and, and certainly in, in the European Union, uh, there's also quite a bit of use of these technologies. So, so let me just never, uh, what Michael indicated just a little bit. If you think about uh, kind of the geography in the U.S. in terms of precision agriculture adoption, commodity crops like corn, beans, and wheat, et cetera, is primarily large-scale operations. And they have uh, the larger-scale operations have been much more aggressive in adopting this technology than some of the smaller-scale operations, although even even the larger-scale operations struggle with this issue of broadband access. So that's a big challenge. The input supply companies and others are trying to help solve by doing something more uh, in the private sector to bring uh, that access rather than relying primarily on government uh, broadband type of investments like we, we seem to be uh, uh, focused on now. Uh, if you go to the specialty crops in California, it's another place where precision agriculture is being used primarily in terms of things like chemical control and environmental concerns. In Europe, it's an interesting thing. It's, there's a, a fair amount of focus on using robotic activity with swarm technology. Uh, in other words, smaller machines, smaller equipment, et cetera, multiple machines walking or going across the field at the same time uh, as a way to try to uh, uh, increase their, their uh, efficiency and, and operational uh, effectiveness 
uh, on smaller scale farming uh, operations in smaller plots because Europe, uh, particularly the UK, and but a large parts of Europe don't have, except for parts of France, uh, don't have the same uh, large scale farming operations as we do here uh, in the US and a lot of South America. So uh, Japan is the same way. Japan has a lot of very, very small scale GPS driven uh, systems and, and, and structures, et cetera, helping Japanese farmers be more efficient as well. So it's kind of different in different reasons. The only other comment is there's pretty aggressive use of this technology in Australia. Yeah, just to piggyback a little bit on that, Mike, you know, Mike brought some really good points. Typically, when you see higher valued crops, you're going to see quicker adoption. Uh, and so that's why the specialty crops, the, the, the grape producers, the, you know, the wine, the, the wine, wineries, uh, vineyards, uh, that you're going to see that technology adopted fairly rapidly because the value propositions differ. Uh, but another thing, going back to, to the scale that adopt these, it's not necessarily, not necessarily true that the technology only has an advantage to the larger farms. Larger farms tend to trade their machinery more frequently. And so when you get the newer machines, you have this technology on it. So it's kind of a natural. Uh, they replace the machinery more frequently. They're going to have the precision agriculture technology on these new machines. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I love to move a little bit towards the grain handling and processing industry. That part of the supply chain is a move away from uh, producers. But in general, how can this ever-evolving application of data, technology, and decision-making by producers and farmers have an impact in the post-harvest sector of the supply chain, such as grain handling and the processing industry? The most direct place we see it happening and it's actually being adopted fairly rapidly right now is this whole issue of storage, better understanding of uh, what's going on in that storage facility, a better understanding of whether there might be moisture problems or might be spoilage problems or might be insect problems, etc. Moving fairly rapidly in the entire grain handling system to try to do a better job there with this kind of technology. It's also another area that uh, concern we have, uh, we've experienced it in the last three or four years, is this whole issue of supply chain disruptions as a function of uh, uh, of not having the information we need to know how much we need to transport and where we need to transport it. And telematics, again, in terms of the transportation side of this, whether it be in the rail or whether it be in barge or whether it be in terms of trucking industry, is, is really, really also an important part of this activity. I'm obviously very bullish on this technology. I think it has, a, has, has a, a lot of potential. But one of the reasons I'm so bullish is this is a win-win-win. It's a win for producers uh, because some of the things we've talked about, uh, you know, reducing costs, increasing yields, being able to monitor the crop as it's growing and in doing a better job of providing inputs. And so certainly very positive for producers. But as Mike indicated, it's very positive to the value chain. This this is going to be a mechanism for us to to show uh, that we that we're using sustainable practices, to be able to document uh, some of the things that we're doing, uh, such as using less herbicide, uh, and and show that the yes, we're a sustainable producer. Therefore, maybe we get some extra uh, price per bushel. A person that's buying that product can say that. Yes, we're, we're dealing with producers that are using these specific practices and they can relay that to the consumer. I think that's huge. And then Mike alluded to it, this whole idea of traceability, you know, that's always been an issue in production agriculture. That issue is not going away. But I think this technology is going to help us uh, with, with that particular issue, be able to trace back a problem and solve the problem quicker. Uh, and the other win is for the environment. 
I think it's obvious uh, when you're doing a better job of putting the herbicide on, more selective, on where you put the herbicide, for example, using less fertilizer because you're doing a better job of, of putting that fertilizer on different parts of the field, that that's going to be, that's going to help the environment. And, and let's just take that one notch further. Uh, uh, so, so there's certainly increased concern on the part of everybody in this value chain on issues of food safety, not just food quality, but food safety, et cetera, contamination in the supply chain. And now, uh, because of not only traceability, but because of the sensing, monitoring, measuring technology we have, we're able more quickly to find out that we have a contaminated product and trace back and find out where, in fact, it is occurring. What part of the value chain did we have the contamination problem? And so that whole issue, but not only helping consumers or reducing the chances the consumers have uh, are buying a product or consuming a product that has uh, a food safety problem, but actually then from a company's perspective, protecting the brand value of that company by being able to kind of detect early and uh, recall products that have food safety concerns. It's kind of interesting that you brought up traceability and traceability with uh, commodities. Uh, that can be challenging, right? Because they're not in fixed containers. Yep. How, how do you envision traceability for corn and wheat and other commodities like that? One of the ways you do that is you, you're very careful in terms of how you transport these products all the way through the value chain, how you ship them all the way through the value chain. And the companies are having the capacity now to be able to identify particular locations from a particular field of where they source their wheat, their corn, their beans, et cetera, uh, and then have it go, go all the way go through the value chain uh, and, and be able to kind of, uh, as I indicated, go back and find out where problems occurred, et cetera. But the other thing that we, we have the capacity increasingly to do is to, uh, uh, is to, is to do a better job of real-time monitoring through that entire value chain where the, where the, the inventory is and how it needs to be moved, et cetera, to reduce the disruption potential. So we do find in some cases, for example, in the organic market, and they actually have capacity with this technology to be able to monitor all the way through so that, in fact, they know could therefore source only from locations that are using organic production practices. Okay. What do you see as future areas of focus for the application of precision agriculture within the grain handling and processing industry? I see a couple things, and I think we've alluded to them already. I, I see a more use of, of autonomous uh, trucks. Uh, that's one of the things I think we'll see, and that, that's that's more post-harvest. Uh, but I do think that that's coming down pike. Autonomous vehicles work better on things like interstates uh, rather than streets because there's a map it out much more effectively. We're already seeing autonomous wagons, for example, and so I, I think we'll continue to see that. And so I think a continuation of some of the things we're already uh, starting to see uh, is, is what I expect. I pulled a quote from an article you co-wrote with each other. It reads, the adoption of precision agriculture technologies will lead to a competitive advantage for some farms. Another way of stating the same thing is that farms that do not adopt these technologies will face a competitive disadvantage. Having said that, it is important to note that the adoption of precision agriculture technologies will likely change the required capabilities and skills used by the production agriculture workforce. Farms will thus need to assess whether they have gaps in the skills needed to successfully adopt and manage these new technologies. 
I think our listeners will agree that these skills and labor are really a huge set of challenges for the post-harvest industry, too. What are your thoughts on how we educate, train, and advocate for labor in a new normal? Okay, I'll start, Mike, and then you can uh, you can add 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 to this. Uh, larger farms have, have an, I think, are going to have an advantage with associated with this technology. I, I alluded to it earlier. Uh, they're they're in position to buy the equipment uh, more frequently, and so and so and so the uh, the new technology is always on those new machines. And so I'll go back to that. But when it comes to personnel, uh, you know, because by definition, larger farms have multiple uh, individuals involved in the operation. It's re- it's it's easier to put a have a point person uh, to really focus, uh, you know, focus on this technology. I'll give an example outside of, of crop production in the dairy industry. Let's say you have some robotic milkers. One of the first things you want to do if you have robotic milkers is have one person on that operation that 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 has that has that information on his phone and is constantly looking at that to make sure that that robotic milker is working. The same is with this technology. We need a point person on that farm, and not only to purchase the uh, the new equipment, to make the make sure the equipment is working effectively and efficiently on that farm. And it, it's just very difficult for sole proprietors to do that. Uh, and it's not impossible, certainly, uh, but it's more difficult for sole proprietors to take advantage of some of these new technologies. Uh, and, and I think uh, the, just as an extension of that, one of the things that I think we're seeing happen is, is things like uh, data and analytics and data analysis and numerical evaluation processes and all that new space out there that farmers haven't been the best at in terms of uh, and, and others in the value chain in the agricultural production system haven't been the best at. It's really, really important. That's why, for example, here at Purdue and most universities, we have a whole focal point now in terms of data analytics, and we have classes, and we have courses in that area. So we're having to develop a new set of skills, uh, um, more analytically numerical thinking as an operator, as as a business person in this space. Doesn't mean that some of the older skills of many farmers and other agribusiness people have aren't going to be useful, but they've got to be augmented with these new skills. And that's where maybe this younger generation is going to be faster and quicker to bring it along rather than try to, uh, what, retread some of us uh, gray-haired people to figure out how to do this stuff. To further that, when I talk to individual families about transition planning, I bring up this very point. What skills does that do that young person that maybe in college, maybe still in high school, what skills does that person need to have uh, when they come back to the farm, if they're interested in coming back to the farm? What better skill set to have than some of the things that we've been talking about? Uh, the, the ability to, to manage this new technology, because we know it, it's coming down the pike. And so that's just an example uh, you know, of, of, of something that we can do on the farm. Now, you've both devoted your professional life to the egg industry and to higher ed education. And I'm curious for you, what has continually been the driving force for your enthusiasm and support of the agriculture and education industries? Well, my roots are in agriculture, reared on a farm, continue actually to be involved in a, a family-based farming operation in terms of, I don't do the physical work like I used to, but I do have a, a focus on the managerial side of trying to make that a successful business operation. Right now, moving into uh, actually a new phase where all these new ideas and all this new technology are really, really exciting. 
both Michael and I are focused, as Michael indicated, on innovation, new ideas, how to bring not only new technology to increase the productivity and efficiency of farming operations, but new ways of thinking about how to make better decisions as well. New ways of thinking about how to do a better job of not only making, generating profit, but managing the risk associated with business of agriculture with all the uncertainty we faces. And that's part of what I have been focusing on lately. And Nice. I've spent a lot of my career uh, looking at, at benchmarks, uh, both production, but primarily financial benchmarks, and, and then relating that to strategic management. And that's where the new technologies come in. Uh, when you're benchmarking, it's always a moving target. We're always changing our managerial skills. Uh, you're getting more managerial experience, but also adopting new technologies. And so that benchmarking is a moving target. And that's what excites me. Uh, just because a farm was a, had a really good position 10 years ago does not mean that that's going to be the case 10 years from now. You've got to adopt with the times. And this precision agriculture technologies is one of the things we really got to take a close look at because this could be a game changer for some people because of all the things that we've talked about today. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. If listeners want to learn more about your work, read some of your papers and connect with you, we'll be sure to leave those links in the show notes at chiefs.com forward slash whole grain. Thank you so much for serving as guests on whole grain. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Whole Grain, a podcast presented by Jeeps, the Grain Elevator and Processing Society. This show can be found on podcast apps and at jeeps.com forward slash whole grain. We'll include a link to the article, Potential Payoffs of Precision Farming, written by our guests in the show notes. If you and your organization want to sponsor an episode and be a featured guest on the Whole Grain Show, or if you are interested in us producing audio ads to support your product or service, we can help you with that. Please reach out to me, Jim Lenz, Director of Global Training and Education at Jeeps. My email is james at jeeps.com, J-A-M-E-S at G-E-A-P-S dot com. The Grain Elevator and Processing Society is the largest organization dedicated to advancing the grain handling and processing industry. Be sure to check out Jeeps.com. Have yourself a great day and thanks for listening to Whole Grain. Jeeps Training and Education Program is proud to release Introduction to Grain Operations. This new course is a multimedia version of what was known as Jeeps 500 with dynamic graphics, video examples, photographs, multidimensional illustrations, animations, and interactive exercises. This course is sure to prepare your teams for the work you need them to do. This is a great industry primer at a great price. For a limited time, Jeeps members may purchase the course for just $195. Non-members still save and pay just $295. For more information, visit jeeps.com.